Good morning, and welcome to Our American Heritage. I am Mark Hunter, the host of the program. Our American Heritage is a program where you explore in depth the American experience from its beginning through the present. And today we want to welcome our guest, Jason Rude. Jason, welcome to the program, and thanks for coming. Arch, thanks for having me. I have been looking forward to this for quite a long time. Well, I know we both have. And Jason, before we get into your topic, share with our listeners, please, your background as far as your teaching career and education and a little bit of your family, if you would, please. Yeah. You know, the history side of this is what meets my family background in this case. So I'm a 2007 graduate of Luther College in Decorah, Iowa, which is also where I grew up. And uh, ever since then, I've been teaching 15 years now for my first four years as a special educator and in the last 11 as a social studies teacher. And over the course of the last six or seven years, I've had a wonderful opportunity to grow my uh, understanding of American history in general, especially when I've gotten a chance to go to places like Freedom's Foundation at Valley Forge and be part of their teacher institutes. I'm a Forge Theater National Oratory Fellow, so I've been working with Forge Theater for the last five years. And it's not just the oratory, you know, getting speech back into schools or reason to speech back into schools, I should say. It's also, you know, talking about tough topics and all the other things that go along with that. So it's been a wonderful experience that way. And then on top of that, I have been part of a podcast that we actually just shut down or just uh, sunsetted called The History Bros. And as part of that, we were doing some things with not only the podcast online, but video stuff. We were starting to put some videos together. And that's kind of what led me into this topic we're going to get in today with the Oklahoma City bobbing. And when we talk about family now, you know, I've got two kids who are starting to get a little bit interested in, in the history stuff. They also love their sport. They also love their arts. Uh, you know, my wife, another pretty well-rounded character who gets very interested in all those things. But here's the other background that applies to this. I grew up the son of a state trooper in Iowa, and my brother is now a state trooper. And I've worked as a first responder, firefighter, ambulance crew member now for the last 10 years. So when we start talking about this Oklahoma City bombing thing, it's not just the history of it as far as the event. For me personally, it, it is personal because, number one, I can completely relate to what it would be like to roll up on this scene. And number two... I do know some people that were involved in not the initial response, but the later response. And so it gets really personal for me. And you mentioned, Jason, that your podcast has been sunsetted. Uh, at my age, sunset is not a good thing because, you know, <laughs> I, so explain to our listeners what you mean by the podcast has been sunsetted and how they would be able to pull up your podcast and listen to them. Absolutely. So the History Bros was a three-year collaboration between myself, Brian Geldmacher, and Jason Hatfield. Brian's from St. Louis. He's obviously a, a, a mutual friend of ours that we've met at Freedoms Foundation. And then uh, Jason Hatfield out of Durham, North Carolina. And the three of us met back at Colonial Williamsburg in 2019 at a teacher institute. And we had such good conversations. We thought, you know, we should try to record this and just see what happens. And it went well. It, it really did. But after three years, just with the timing of everything, it was time for us to not have to worry about pushing material out all the time. But, you know, you can catch us pretty much on any podcasting platform. The podcast itself is still up. And then on YouTube, if you go to the History Bros on YouTube, we've got a series of videos, about 44, 45 videos called Stories from the Road. 
And those are videos that we've made in our travels, either together or on our own. And there's been some really, really fun experiences with that. Uh, I'm particularly proud of the trip that I did with uh, my dad and my brother and another friend. This summer, we stopped in Oklahoma City on the way to Texas, and we did a video on the bombing itself and, and visited the memorial and the museum. And then we've got another video, actually two videos, it's a two-parter on uh, JFK and uh, wow. happened in Dallas. So mm. there's some really interesting stuff there. Uh, we're still amateurs, so I mean, it's not perfect by any means, but uh, we had a lot of fun doing it. Well, we're all amateurs, Jason. And listeners, <laughs> uh, I'm sure Jason has been waiting for this. Uh, I've known Jason now for about two and a half years, and it was two, two summers ago that he came to the Freedoms Foundation for one of our campus programs. And unfortunately, he got there a little late during our first orientation meeting. And I <laughs> looked away from the crowd and I looked back and Jason walked in and the only seat that was available was right in front of him, <laughs> right of him, and sat down and he looked up at me and he said, so how you doing? <laughs> and from yeah. that point on, from Jason and Brian, uh, which I just naturally was attracted to because of, of their wit and their willingness to talk and have a little bit of fun, uh, we had a great week together. And when we were at um, Princeton, <laughs> uh, yeah, you're allowed. A forest ranger came out of nowhere when we were having a, an interpretation there and was uh, quite, I would say, Jason, irate. And, yes. and um, when we finally got that settled down, I turned around and walked away from him. And it was Jason and Brian that was standing behind me. And Jason said, Arch, we have your back. <laughs> oh, and we did. <laughs> and so, you know, probably moments turn funny. And so we've kidded about that ever since. So your topic, Jason, is extremely interesting, extremely sobering, because most of us remember the Oklahoma City bombing. So if you would begin to share the Oklahoma City bombing and what went on there and who these guys were and why they did it. Yeah. So Oklahoma City is, for me, I was 10 years old, so I'm old enough to remember, but not in the same kind of detail that I do, say, a 9-11 or the Columbia blowing up, or, or I shouldn't say blowing up, probably disintegrating on, on reentry, or, or some of those more recent disasters where a little older, a little easier to process. But I've obviously, I visited the museum and, and memorial twice, and I've done a lot of research on it, uh, just because I'm curious not just from a historical aspect, but like I said before, for my own, because of my own background and, and whatnot. So Oklahoma City is a very interesting topic. Basically, what you're looking at is a response to things that happened prior to that. In particular, the Waco siege and the Ruby Ridge incident out in Idaho, I believe it was, northern Idaho. Mm -hmm. And And basically, what you had is government agencies that were involved in dealing with people that and I'm not going to I'm not going to make any kind of bold statement on it cuz some of it's pretty political um but I mean basically the government agencies had stepped in and unfortunately citizens lost their lives as part of that now we can talk about who did what who you know who shot first all that kind of stuff how that all went down I'm not going to get into that stuff but that's kind of where this starts Tim McVeigh had been in the military and things kind of fell apart on him. So he's already disillusioned with the government. And then he sees something like this happen. 
and he's going to take the side that you know, as so many people do these days, they take the side they wanted to, that he wanted to believe, and said, "I want to attack the U.S. government one way or another." And so he started scouting buildings, and ultimately landed on the Alfred P. Murrah Building, federal building, in Oklahoma City, mainly because it housed 14 different agencies, and there was three in specific that he wanted to get. He wanted the FBI, the DEA, and the ATF specifically. And the Secret Service and U.S. Marshals were a bonus to him. I believe Secret Service and U.S. Marshals, I think, were in that building. I have to double-check that. And uh, between the FBI, the DEA, and ATF, there were at least three of them that were also housed in that building. Uh, So that's why he kind of went there with that. He used a massive truck bomb. We're talking a 4,800-pound bomb. So we're talking about just under two and a half tons Mm -hmm. of sodium nitrates, nitromethane, and diesel fuel. Now, Arch, you know, I keep, I always, I always feel like when I do these things, I keep throwing in different things that I do. I also shoot fireworks professionally. <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> now, I've had, you know, I've had a thousand pounds of explosives in the back of a truck before that we, we put up in the air and went, you know, but to think about 5,000 pounds, essentially, of that is just unreal. Mm-hmm. And, and this stuff is basically farm fertilizer for the most part, you know, and then set it off with TNT. Let me ask you, Jason, a couple of questions about Timothy McVeigh. One, was he a member of one of those militia groups? Do we know or do you know? You know, uh, I guess I've never seen anything definitively Mm -hmm. saying he was part of the Michigan militia, but he was absolutely tied to them. And that's where this one gets interesting because – uh, you know, uh, this is long before my time, but I saw hey, there's a great show called FBI Files that I just love. Mm-hmm. And there's one on, I think it's the, the Cross, the Sword, and the Arm of the Lord, uh, which was a uh, a group that was living in northwest Arkansas, not far from our friend Lindsay, I'll, I'll, to be honest with you. Oh, wait, wait. L- Lindsay who? I don't know. Do you know Lindsay? I don't know Lindsay. <laughs> we don't talk about Lindsay? Uh, well, as little as little as possible. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Um, but anyway, there was uh, a raid there. They basically got raided because of some terrorist activities, specifically the fact that they had weapons they weren't supposed to have. They got raided by the FBI, hostage rescue team, handle all that. And then there's a place called LOM City that is in, it's in Oklahoma, right on the border, where there's been a lot of the people tied to that uh, that were in there. Uh, Chevy Kehoe was another person kind of tied mm-hmm. to all this. And it's all kind of tied to this anti-government malicious stuff. So whether he was officially a member of these groups, I couldn't tell you for sure. Okay. But he absolutely had ties to every last, or I won't say every last one of them, but he had ties to a lot of them. Okay. Well, and what was you mentioned? He was in the military. A little bit more about his military experience, and the, the, I don't know if you can summarize this. Do you think that that some of that had to do with why he eventually did what he did, the bomb Oklahoma City, the Murr Building? Yeah, I do. You know, the way I understood it is that he may not have. Well, he want okay. So the way I understand it is he wanted to get into the U.S. Army Special Special Forces, which have been like Rangers, Green Berets, right. Delta Force would be the ultimate group within that. And it sounded like he didn't make it, and that really, really upset him. Uh, some of that had to do with ankle injuries. There were other things they said that he wasn't physically ready. And so he said, fine, if I can't get in, I'm out of here. And I think that really left a bad taste in his mouth. And of course, then 
you know, when you, once you start down that path, and, you, and especially if you end up around the, the, the correct people who are going to say mm-hmm. maybe what you want to hear, you can start, you know, and then, of course, you watch the news, you watch current events, you, know, you see things happen. And, of course, that, that all influences us. And it's just a matter of where it goes from there. Sure. And do you know or do we know now, Jason, when we look back, was he, and I don't even know if we even know this, was he on the FBI radar or any one of our agencies' radar before this, or did this just come out of the blue, bombing the Marabinning? You know, that's a really good question, and I don't know the answer to that off the top of my head without doing some further research. I, uh, I've never come across anything that suggests that he was on the radar, but I also can't say that with any kind of confidence. And I'm asking you those questions because all the reading I've done on him and the Oklahoma City bombing, I've never seen anything that was written about the possibility that they were rewatching him or there was any you know, red flags on, on the, these two guys. Exactly. exactly. Do you, what about his background? Where did he grow up? you know anything about his growing up family at all that might have played into this? Yeah. So he was born in Lockport, New York son of Irish American parents, you know, they obviously, I should say, obviously they'd been in the country for a long time. Parents divorced. It's said that he probably, or could have been the target of some bullying in school. And I think whether, I think he stated, and I have to double check on this one, that he felt the United States government was the ultimate bully. So maybe there's some of that feelings from younger and all of a sudden he felt the U S government was doing the same thing. You know, but beyond that, uh, you know, he graduated from it looks like Star Point Central High School and was very talkative, but he actually didn't speak much. They, so they, they, they voted him most talkative, but he actually didn't speak a lot, <laughs> uh, which would right. So it would suggest that maybe he was bullied when he was young. Oh, yeah. And without going into details, because with the fireworks that you're involved in and, and the lethalness of that. What did he do to put this massive bomb together? How do you put something like that together and cause that much destruction? Yeah, so most of what I deal with is black powder and, you know, some metals. So I I don't deal with a lot of ammonium nitrates or nitromethane. But think of it this way. You know, there, there are blasting companies out there that go out and maybe, you know, around where I live, there's a lot of limestone. So we've got a lot, a lot of limestone quarries. And to get the rock out of that, you blast it. And that's what a lot of that blasting is. That's what they're using is, is they call it ANFO. Or if you watch Mythbusters, when they blow up the cement trucks as big as they possibly can, that's what they're using is, is ANFO. It's the same type of thing. So how do you construct it? Well, Basically, you got to get a whole lot of ammonium nitrates and a lot of, you know, enough nitromethane and then some diesel fuel on top of that. When you start to mix that together, it makes a very, very explosive concoction. However, it's not something that you just throw a match on it and it's going to light. Basically, you have to, how can I say this? It's a um, concussion-based detonation, meaning you have to compress it. So uh, it's kind of like snap pops. You know, if you light a snap pop on fire, it doesn't go. But if you throw it on the ground, it pops, that type of thing. And so he still had to have TNT to set this thing off. And that's actually one of the things that tipped people off once he was caught. He had a card on him for, I forget the name of the place, but it said, need more TNT written on it. Hmm. Uh, 
Yeah. And so what you do then is you have TNT with a blasting cap and that will set that off, which will set off the next chain. And then it'll set the, the final chain, which is the ammonium nitrates, nitromethane and that diesel fuel. And what does the fertilizer have? What's the component of that? Because I, you read a lot about farmers are buying fertilizer and it's all now scrutinized because of this. What does that fertilizer play in this massive bomb that he created? Yeah, so nitrates in particular, you know, with, with the mixing of it, it just, I, again, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of household chemicals out there that on their own are very inert. But you mix it with something else, and all of a sudden, and again, I'm not a chemist, so as much as I blow stuff up, I don't mix the chemicals, mm-hmm. um, you know. But when you start putting things like that together, and all of a sudden they can chain react and interact with each other, you get these volatile and explosive reactions, you know. And so, how exactly the ammonium nitrates and the nitromethane work together, I don't, I, you know, I don't know the chemical mm-hmm. interaction there, but I can tell you this that. The ammonium nitrates, which again, it's fertilizer, it's what the farmers are putting on fields, is very, very readily available. It's fairly cheap to get, and it can be very volatile when put together with the right other components. And is it because of the Oklahoma City bombing where that is now highly regulated today for our government to keep their eye on people that are buying a lot of that fertilizer? Is this where that started? Uh, well, uh, actually, I think you got to go back to 93 when the World Trade Center was attacked the first time by Biramal Khan. No, not Khan. That was the wrong one. That's the guy who attacked the CIA building in 83. Huh. Can't think of the guy's name now. But anyway, if you remember in 93, there was a bomb that blew up in the garage. Yes. level garage. Yep. Yeah. And they used the same thing there. They just didn't use enough to take the building down. Mm-hmm. So it starts there, and then it builds when all of a sudden you see two events like that, you know, and... Well, here's the other thing that we don't know is these two events happened. We don't know how many other events didn't happen because it got caught in time. Yeah. Okay. So build a picture for us, Jason. How long did it take for him to get all these things to put them together, to put them inside the back of this big rental truck to do this? Yeah. So in all my research, it started in like August of 94. He started working on gaining materials, storing them in different sheds, particularly in Kansas, and of course, it takes a long time to get some of that stuff without attracting too much attention or some of that stuff, you know, when you don't have a farm. So mm-hmm. it just, it it be a little too obvious. And of course, there's the, the nitromethane. You got to find somebody who's willing to sell it to you and then who's willing to get it to you. And, you know, blasting caps and TNT, even then, it wasn't like the 60s and 70s and even into the early 80s where you just went down to the old hardware store and bought up some dynamite to blow, you know, take stumps out of the backyard. It was starting to become a little more regulated. So getting a hold of that was a lot harder. And quite frankly, that stuff could get a little expensive. The liquid nitromethane, you know, you need 350, 400, 500 pounds of that stuff. A lot of that those things, like you have to go to NHRA drag racing series events, things like that, those types of suppliers to be able to get that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, again, it, it takes some time. So, yeah, we're talking oh, almost 10 months, probably, yeah. from the time he started doing it to the time they actually detonated the bomb. Wow. And you said it was about the equivalent of 4,800-pound bomb? Basically. That's how much the thing weighed, yes. And what would you ha- what would be the equivalent to one of our military bombs, uh, or the impact of it that would be on just dropping it or exploding it, other than that open area onto the building? 
Yeah, I wasn't able to find the direct comparison to what it would uh, apply to with the U.S. conventional weapon. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you, it was the equivalent of about 5,000 pounds of TNT. Wow. You know, one stick of TNT does plenty. It'll make a big hole, a big hole. And now you put 5,000 of them together and it dropped an entire building and made a hole as well. Well, it dropped a third of a building, I should say. And Jason, this was more of a concussion bomb because he parked that truck in front of the building and it blew a lot of the front of the building off. Is that correct? Yeah. So at 901, so 9.01 is the last moment of quote unquote normalcy. And it's actually depicted within the memorial itself. On the east end, it says 901. 9.02, the bomb went off. And so when it went off, it first off almost immediately blew out all of the glass on the front of the building, which the building was, the exterior was, I think, almost entirely glass, which was another reason why McVeigh chose that building, because he knew that if glass shattered and had the force behind it, Mm -hmm. it would just shrapnel. And in fact, there were a lot of deaths that were attributed to the glass more so Mm -hmm. than the force or the collapse. Just the glass flying killed a lot of people in, in itself. But then it also starts to shear, you know, the steel that is holding that building up and holding that building together. And that's what's going to end up causing a collapse. Because, I mean, we're talking about uh, a nine-story building here. Yeah, yes. You know, and, and so all of a sudden you knock out a few supports and stuff starts to fall down. And that's actually where it gets really interesting is just how inches mattered when you start talking about where stuff sheared off, inches mattered whether you lived or survived, mm-hmm. or lived or died, I should say. So, Jason, does he drive this truck right up to the front of a newer building? or Because today we can't get close to any building. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, you know, and, and so, well, a couple of things we could say about that. Yes, yeah, absolutely. They've got it on surveillance film uh, or surveillance footage from the – Renaissance building, which is uh, about a block away. They can see him turn the corner onto the street right in front of the building, and he, you know, turns right there. And then you can actually see they've got an interior security camera. You can see where he parks the thing right in front of the building. And we're Mm -hmm. talking, you know, drop-off zone, that that type of of location. Uh, And so what you see now is – Buildings are set back from the streets yes, yeah. um, much more than they used to be, yet we see that all the time. And then the other thing you start to see is you'll see these big flower planters mm-hmm. uh, in front of buildings. You know, and it's like if you go to, uh, to the J. Edgar Hoover building out in Washington, D.C., they've got these big, beautiful flower planters that are all the way around the buildings. Like, my gosh, you know, is this really what we're doing? We're putting flowers up? Or you go to a target, they've got the big red balls out front because it's yes. kind of like their logo. Um, or if you just go to the gas station, they've got these big pillars. Uh, those are anti-building getting getting hit uh, functions. All of those things are. You know, if you don't want your doors to get run into, you put up a big flower planter. If you want to protect your, your walls, you know, you put up these posts or whatever. And people are getting a little more decorative about it. But at the end of the day, it's a massive, dense, heavy weight that's really hard to move with yeah. even a vehicle. No. So, well, Jason, we are up against time for this segment of the program. So I have so many more curiosity questions for you to talk about, about McVeigh and, and Terry Nichols. So 
We want to thank you for coming today and, and sharing a little bit of the Oklahoma City bombing and the background of Timothy McVeigh and, and this, this sobering, sobering event in America that we've lived through that we hope we never see again. So thank you for sharing with us, and we're looking forward to our next program with you, Jason. Hey, thanks for having me on. I can't wait to keep talking about it. Listeners, we want to thank Jason Rood for coming and for his teaching and his passion for America and the teaching the kids of America. So again, we want to thank you for, for sharing with us today. This is 1180 AM WFYL, Working for Your Liberty.